All right. Thank you, Mary Lee. And thank you guys for being willing to go out and spread some love and carol this next week. I'm excited about it. I'm going to give you guys a preview of some caroling later in the service, but you'll have to hold on for that, um, for, for real. It's, and, and you should have confidence in your voice after you hear me. But anyways, um, <clears throat> my name is David. If you are new here, uh, I am the pastor here, and uh, it is such a blessing to be the pastor. First, let me say thank you uh, to, to a whole bunch of people. Uh, who served us in uh, as a staff this last week. We were uh, shown staff appreciation, and so all of us who work here at Redeemer Church were kind of showered with um, food and drink and uh, calories wonderfully this, uh, this Christmas season, and, and uh, we felt the love. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of our whole staff. We really do love serving here, and I say that it is a privilege to serve as the pastor here. I mean it. And I, I know that our staff feels the whole way, and I just I just want to thank you guys. Uh, it is much appreciated. Let me also say, um, as Mary Lee uh, reminded us at the beginning of the service, in eight days it is Christmas Eve. It's a big, big service for the church, and we have uh, three of them. And I hope you guys are making plans to join us. I know that uh, many of you guys have invited friends, which is awesome. I see uh, you guys sharing that on Facebook, and and I I, I do want to say. Uh, that this is really a great time of year to invite somebody to come to church. Uh, you know, statistics show that the, the Christmas Eve services are services that people are willing and, and interested to come, come to. And actually, you'd be surprised at how willing people are with a personal invitation any time of the year to join you for church one Sunday. But at Christmas, there's like this extra level of openness. And, uh, and I am certain that God has put somebody in your life um, that needs a church and would love to hear a message of hope in, in the birth of Jesus and hear the gospel this Christmas. So I'd invite you to invite somebody who you know needs a church family and could come join us this Christmas, okay? Um, let me also uh, say those three services, as we're kind of looking at how it's likely to lay out, uh, of all three, the three o'clock is probably going to be packed. Um, it is going to be full. Last year, at about this time, it was so full in this room at that service, the air conditioner went out. We broke a circuit. And, um, and for that not to happen again, uh, if I, and I know a lot of our plans are kind of solid, but if you have any ability to consider maybe coming at the 5 or the 7 o'clock, that would be huge. It might make a, a really big difference in uh, the experience these guests that we have We'll, we'll have, uh, we are ready for the air conditioning this year, but uh, just just uh, ask you guys to consider it. My family's going to actually come to the 7 o'clock for that reason, and if you have the ability to move, we'd, we'd ask you to consider it too, okay? All right, uh, we continue this week in our series on carols. We've been looking the last few weeks at some of the favorite Christmas carols that we sing, and, and really some of the the verses in the scripture underneath them that inspired their writing. And uh, this week, we are going to look at the carol, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And as I did a little background work to kind of just uncover a bit of the history, um, it was really interesting to, 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 to discover that this is, is actually a very old carol. It's one of the oldest ones that we still sing and are very familiar with today. Actually, most of the carols we sing are fairly old, uh, two centuries, three centuries, four centuries, 
uh, written written ago. And uh, just to give you some reference points, last week we talked about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That was written in 1739. Uh, the week before that we did O Come All Ye Faithful. That was 1711. Uh, a more contemporary Christmas carol, uh, uh, O Holy Night, the one with the, the high note, right? Um, it was written in 1847. And uh, so that's newer, but still 150 years of people trying to go night and cracking on it. Um, but uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen was written all the way back in the 1400s. Uh, it is one of the oldest that we sing. That's like the end of the, the, the Middle Ages where, you know, history, at least Western history, was fairly dark and somber. And if you actually look at a lot of the music that was sung in churches at that period of time, it was kind of dark and somber melodies. And that's what makes this carol actually fairly interesting because it was written almost as a kind of joyful rebellion to that style of music. God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen has a little bit more of an upbeat, fun feel to it. And, and we don't know exactly who wrote it. We don't know who the author is, but we're pretty sure it's Genesis came out of the peasant class in, in England in the 14th century. And, um, and when it, it kind of emerged and started to be sung, those religious leaders in the churches at that time didn't like it. They saw it as being reverent and too joyful. Uh, which is really interesting, right? It shows that even in the 1400s, there was worship wars going on in the church. And, uh, and so they actually banned it from being sung in most of the churches. Uh, but what uh, was the result then, just as it is the result now, is that people still sing the music that they love to sing to God. And, uh, and these peasants who couldn't sing it in the churches, actually, uh, we have records of them going out into the streets and singing God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, uh, joyfully as a kind of rebellion to the, to the time of the day. It's really kind of a cool story about this carol. And, uh, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about it later, but now I want to look at um, some of the scripture that really kind of gets at the heart of this song. And it comes to us from the book of Micah. Micah was an Old Testament prophet, one of the minor prophets. He shows up later in the Old Testament. And we're going to read uh, from the fifth chapter of his book, verses 1 through 6. If you want to grab the Bible and the chair in front of you, and I highly encourage you to do that, to get familiar with it, to, gr to, to grab that, to get it in your hands, it is on page 758. And... Uh, as you all get there, um, why don't we do what we always do here before we hear God's word? Let's ready our hearts and minds in prayer. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, you know, these incredible moments of history that teach us, that gave birth to joyful songs uh, like this carol of Christmas. And I just pray as we, we think about it and we think about some of the scripture that's underneath it, that inspired it, that, um, Lord, that comes from you, that is your very word, that those words would speak to our hearts and minds, that we would see afresh how good your grace and your love and the peace that you offer us comes to us this Christmas. And with hearts that are ready and minds that, that are able to hear, Lord, would you speak to us? Uh, would, you, would your Holy Spirit be at work exactly where we are? And would you work in our lives uh, so that we could be more made into the image of your son and more um, discovering your love and, and the joy that we can have this Christmas. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, this is Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> marshal, your, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. Okay, we'll revisit that in just a bit. Um, when I, when I was finishing up uh, my last year of university, I had the incredible opportunity to go live in Egypt, uh, mainly in the city of, city of Cairo for um, an entire summer. And for the first half of it, I, I was totally on my own, which um, I cannot believe my parents let me do. And two, uh, taught me a lot of things. I had a lot of uh, really informative experiences during that time. And I'll, I'm sure I'll share uh, them from time to time, but one of the ones that came to mind this morning, um, I'd been there only about a month, and I had a, a normal route that I walked to the, the school where I was taking uh, colloquial Arabic classes. And I, I started walking, and I noticed up ahead of me on the sidewalk, there was a group of uh, three or four boys and, uh, and I didn't think too much of it at first. Cairo is chalked full of people, people everywhere doing all kinds of different things. But as I got, I got closer to this group of boys, uh, I could tell this was a different kind of situation. They were standing over another boy who uh, clearly appeared to be homeless and who was face down on, on the ground. And he didn't appear to be hurt. Um, I wasn't sure if he was sleeping, uh, but he was just kind of still face down on the ground on that sidewalk, and these boys were standing over him, and actually, as I got closer, what I discovered is that they were making fun of him. Um, I, I didn't speak enough Arabic, still don't, to understand what they were saying, um, but they, uh, they were pointing, they were laughing, they were making gestures towards him. And, uh, and I even heard one of them say this, this word pharaonic and pointing, which, which I understood enough to know they were basically calling him a dead mummy. And, and when I, I kind of heard that, um, I kind of stepped into that, that little crowd of boys and I didn't know how to tell them to go away, but I was able to kind of push them away and they kind of went on their way. And so I stood over this kid who was still there on the ground, kind of not moving. And, um, and honestly, I felt pretty helpless. Like, I didn't know what to do. Um, I had a bottle of water, and I kind of tucked it under his arm. And I had a piece of fruit, and I kind of tapped him on the shoulder. And he just kind of, you know, hardly gave me a look. 
and put it down, and then he, he sat there face down on the pavement still. And um, I, I, I remember thinking, is there anything I can do? What, what could I do? What should I do? Everybody else just seemed to kind of be seeing this boy go, and I, feeling helpless, uh, just kind of gave him a pat, and I knelt down on my knee, and I prayed a prayer for this kid, and the only thing I knew to do was to, was to go walk to class. And, um, you know, the reason that uh, that, that story um, came to mind is because it's one of these moments that we have sometimes in life where um, we just get like this window into the, the hugeness of human suffering and injustice that lives in the world and just kind of takes our, our breath away. Right? It's, it's those moments, and I bet most of us have had them, where we just see something that a lot of times we, we ignore. A lot of times we're able to kind of push off to the side, but, but sometimes we just uh, kind of are, are, are shaken back into this reality of the life that sometimes people have to live, and, and it's just, we just feel it, right? We feel the unjust uh, suffering that people that people have, we see uh, the the depravity of human sin, and uh, and it's just it's just arresting, and and when I um, in that moment and other moments like it, uh, at least for me, and I bet for many of you too, there's like this voice that kind of speaks inside of me. It's mine, but it's not really mine. But it's this voice that says this: this isn't right. Right? Like, I look at that and I say, it's not supposed to be this way. Kids shouldn't be homeless like this. Kids shouldn't be cruel like this. There has got to be something better. There's got to be some healing and hope for our world. And that's the voice that, 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 that came up and spoke loud and clear in, in my heart. And I bet you've heard it in your hearts, too. And as actually I've studied the scriptures over the years, one of the things that I've come to realize is that voice that was speaking in, in my heart that day in Cairo is actually uh, a voice that speaks throughout the pages of Scripture. It kind of begins quietly at first, but as we get into the words of the prophets, uh, it, it, it suddenly has a clarity and a loudness that, that is very clear, right? It's these wild-eyed, peace-hungry, visionary men who kind of look at the world and see things and start to speak up against pain of human suffering, against injustice, and, 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 and they even offer uh, a message of, of hope that, that, that goes like this. You were made for better days, right? You're right. When you see these things, it's not how it's supposed to be, and it won't be forever, right? The prophets say the strong may oppress the weak, the rich may pummel the poor, nations go to war with other nations, but I, the Lord, have made you for something better, and soon I will bring better days to pass, right? And that's the consistent voice of the prophets throughout the Bible. And the, the ancient word, Jews actually had a word, um, these prophets had a word to describe this something better. They wanted this, the, 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 this yeah, and, and the word was peace. Um, shalom is the word that, that the Jews would use in Hebrew. And, uh, and we translated it as peace, but honestly, 
I don't think our English really does justice to capture the concept, right? God's peace, shalom, was, was more than the absence of war or conflict of stri- or strife. God's shalom was more than a positive state of my mind or a, a good feeling in my soul. It was, it was more than a private transaction between God and myself. Uh, it included those things, but it, it was for these radical Jewish believers uh, it was something that, that was much bigger than that, right? It was bigger and broader, and it meant not only that we would have inner peace or spiritual peace, as important as those things are, as essential as those things are, it actually spoke to a peace uh, that was wholeness and completeness that would stretch out throughout all the world, where a peace that would come like, like a levee breaks and the waters pour over the earth, and in that washing there would be healing and completeness and new to all of life, and no longer then would the brokenness that we experience have its way. No longer would the rich devour the poor, would, would one nation rise up against another. It meant that, that all of, of what was wrong in the world would, would be put back together, would be made whole and complete. That, that was the idea of shalom, and it was the promise of a better, better day. It was the voice that spoke throughout those pages of scripture. And as the Bible unfolded, you know, God dropped clues that this, this shalom, the hope of shalom that these prophets spoke of, was, it wasn't just an ideal, it wasn't just some pie-in-the-sky concept, it was actually something that, that was possible, it was actually something that was promised. And it came in this way where, where, where suddenly these, these, these prophets started speaking uh, that it wasn't necessarily just an event or the lining up of certain uh, elements of the world, it, it actually was going to come through a person. God's shalom would, ha- would come through a person who would come and open the door to peace. And, and, and so the question that arose in the minds of the prophets was who? Uh, and then they, they, they started to paint a picture of who and what this person would be like. And this is where some of the beautiful verses that we hear at, at Christmas come to mind. They kind of, they, they, they're, they're, they're there, they're, 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 they're cherished. Here's, here's one from the prophet Isaiah that you might be familiar with. He put it this way, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. And there will be and of the greatness of his government and peace and shalom, there will be no end, right? You've probably heard that with peace. It sounds a little different with that concept, that word of shalom inserted into it. But it's more of what the prophets were speaking of. It was more of the possible and probable and the thing that God was doing. This was what Isaiah was speaking to, uh, that it would come through a person and this would be who he was and what he did. But the question still arose, who would he be? What are the details of his coming? And this is where some of the voices of the other prophets start to fill in some of the picture, including the prophet Micah, who we read about. Uh, and read from from the beginning. Uh, the prophet Micah lived actually about 700 years before Jesus' birth. He was actually a contemporary of Isaiah. And um, Isaiah spoke largely uh, out of the place of Jerusalem. Uh, Micah lived in a town about 25 miles uh, away called uh, Morasheth. M- uh, Morasheth. 
Even pastors struggle to say were names in the Bible. Morasheth, and it was, um, it, just to give a reference point, Morasheth was um, a smaller, more rural community where Jerusalem was larger. And uh, if you were to compare Angleton to uh, Pearland, it probably was somewhat of a similar dynamic. They actually, Angleton is, according to Google Maps, 26.1 miles away from here. Uh, and uh, it was a smaller community uh, to, to the larger one in Jerusalem. And, and uh, Micah lived there and looked at Jerusalem and kind of spoke uh, the words of God as the things he, he kind of saw. And um, uh, the Hebrew word for prophet actually literally means to see. And so Micah was communicating throughout this book the things that he was seeing. And as he records the things that he saw from Morsheth happening in Jerusalem and around him, uh, what he saw was many moments like I had um, on the streets of Cairo that one morning. Moments when he saw human pain and suffering and injustice and his heart broke open, right? Um, he, he, he records some of those in, in the book, and uh, he, he mentions uh, that, that he lived in a place where, uh, for a lot of people, lawlessness had become the norm. He talks about foreigners coming and being stripped of the things that they had, being taken advantage of. He, in the end of chapter 2, talks about women and children being taken from their homes, removing their security. He even describes, at the beginning of chapter 3, a scenario, um, and we're not, I'm not sure if he's speaking here figuratively, but where actually uh, horrible violence is being done. People are being skinned, and in his own words, they're being cut up to be put like meat in a pan. Um, and, and whether or not that's literal or figurative, it's horrible. And, and, and this is the reality that's around him, and it breaks his heart. It takes his breath away, and, uh, and Micah longs for better days. He is hoping for something better to happen, and he is, he's actually crying out for repentance of God's people because if they didn't, they didn't uh, through, through him, God was speaking to also say, if, if our ways do not change, we are going to be overcome and overtaken, right? There is going to be an army that comes, and we are going to be run underfoot. And this is actually the first part of the scripture that we read. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says this, Marshal your troops now, city of troops. For a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. He's actually said things like this elsewhere in the book, but here again he's saying there's an army coming. There is a siege about to be laid. We are going to be struck and struck down. If we do not change, this will happen. And actually, if you follow the history, even extra-biblical sources, uh, it did. In 701 B.C., Judah was overtaken by the Assyrians under the reign of King Sennacherib, and all of Israel was exiled to Assyria, and all of Israel was then finally with Micah longing for better days, right? And, um, you know, I find it interesting how uh, many of us long for these better days, and we have these moments where, like, we see something, and the world just kind of, that window, we look into it, and we see the reality of human suffering and pain, in our, and, and, and we cry out for something better. Like, like, that's a very common experience. It's a human experience. But what also is very common, and it has been my experience, is that um, life still goes on. Um, those, those longing for better days are stronger 
in the, in the idealism of, uh, of our teens when we were 18 or 25 than when uh, we enter into uh, adult life when we hit the real world that our teachers talked about and John Mayer sang about, right? Um, those uh, those who, dream, who, who dreamed about better days then, now, uh, you know, we're just trying to get through the day these days today, right? It's hard to, to think about better days when we're just trying to survive this day. And, and when we settle in, you know, suddenly we have bills to pay and jobs to work. Some of us have kids to raise and to keep off the streets uh, when they're little and out of jail when they're adults, right? And we have, and we have health problems that rise up to resolve. We have uh, a, a future to think about, a retirement plan to build. And that list of real-life responsibilities it goes on and on and on, and, uh, and, and that longing for peace of justice as the reality of what is in front of us day to day uh, increases, that ache for better days decreases, and we just don't have time or energy for it in the same way that we used to. You know, th- the other thing that happens is that in the passing of time, I think cynicism sets in as you get older. I think this is also very normal in the human experience. I find this an interesting experiment to do from time to time. Uh, Open up a newspaper or go online and go to a major news source, uh, uh, CNN, Fox News. I did the BBC because I prefer that to both the other options. And uh, and look and ask yourself in the headlines that you read there, uh, how many of those headlines on the front page are things that speak to our world's longing and deep need for peace and justice? How many of those headlines are related to our need, our desire for better days, right? Well, Friday afternoon on the BBC, these were the headlines that I, um, that I read. Strasbourg market attacker shot dead. That speaks to our need for peace and justice, right? Girl dies in custody at U.S.-Mexican border. That speaks to our need for peace and justice. Russian in U.S. spy case pleads guilty. That speaks to our need for peace and justice. (laughs) Money spill sparks highway cash grab. (laughs) I don't know what that speaks to. (laughs) Uh, But then this one, um, this one was interesting. Uh, It speaks to, to a need for peace and justice. Ghana removes racist Gandhi statue. Right? And I, I had to do some understanding of what that was. And evidently, there are some things that he said um, that, that are pretty um, tough to read. And, uh, and I just think about that. And, um, man, I think about uh, all those headlines. And it's, and it's just, if this is what we're reading every day, you know, is this what we hear on the news? Like, no wonder we become cynical. Like, absolutely we're going to be callous. We almost have to put up our guard when we're seeing those things over and over again to be able to think about what's going on right here and right now and not get overwhelmed, right? And if Gandhi uh, was, a, was a racist, Lord have mercy on us all, right? I mean, we live in a crazy world, and, 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 and I think that that is just so evident. It's so hard sometimes to hold on to the hope for better days, and yet, right? One of the things that I that I have so come to appreciate in reading the prophets that really comes through this time of year, as we look at some of the, those scriptures where they speak, 
is that they never lose sight of that hope. The prophets in the scripture, although deal with the very real realities of human suffering and justice, never lose sight of of this promise of shalom and the better days that God has to offer us that that are right there that come um, in the birth of Jesus Christ. And, And in our scripture, we see that in the person of Micah. When he talks, like this is what he says uh, throughout that, that verse. He says, the siege is going to come. The Assyrians are going to overtake us. There will be days of abandonment, right? That actually he compares to a woman's groaning during childbirth. But Micah then at the end of that also says, the end of that labor, there will be new life that comes. Verse 3 says this, therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. All right, so a son will be born. Where will that son come from? This is a detail Michael, Micah actually gives. Micah says in verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for, for, for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So this one who is born, he's got old origins, ancient origins, this son, and he comes from this insignificant place, right? But Micah says, it's okay, he's going to bring security and strength. Verse 4 tells us, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they will live securely, right? That's a beautiful word for people dealing with human injustice and suffering. They will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And then finally, Micah says of this person, this word that those prophets spoke of, right? And he will be their peace. He will bring shalom, right? And so God's peace was going to come in this person. And, uh, and this person would finally bring this shalom. And although Micah, in, in this book that we read, doesn't have any clarity beyond those details that he shares, 700 years later, as it is recorded in our Gospels in the New Testament, right, there is a story about uh, a baby boy who's born after labor pains, right? And these clues that Micah gave us, they begin to point in the same direction as, as the witness of the Gospels, right? This peace bringer was born in a specific place, and it was Bethlehem Ephathra, right? John's gospel says, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, speaking to those ancient origins that Micah said, and we see that affirmed in John's gospel. And then all the gospels record that the night of his, of his coming, right, there are these angels, that the, this entire host that come and announce to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and shalom on earth. Those angels are announcing that this peace, these better days, had had finally come. This wholeness and completeness was being made complete in this new life and this birth that was given in Jesus, right? And you know, uh, sometimes when we read these prophecies that are old, that are ancient, they can seem distant, like they have this abstractness to them. Um, But but I want to assure you, uh, when we read them, they're not. They are, as Micah is, as real as the neighbor Michael who lives down the street from you, right? This, this, the, the, the suffering and sin and injustice that he saw is as real as the, the, the headlines that come 
through our newsfeed every day. And when Jesus was born, God's kingdom broke in and spoke to those things in a way that, that, that had not happened before in history. And in a way that the peace of God stepped into our world and was given that, that was supposed to give us peace in our hearts. Right? This is a shalom for everyone, but it's a shalom for all each one of us as well, right? The, the Christmas is not your birthday, but it is the time when you recognize that we all were given an incredible gift in Jesus Christ. And I think that what happens when, when that peace of Christ, that hope that's there, uh, settles into us and who he is and, and, and his love for us, what happens is, is we are able to do the same thing that these prophets did. Right? We can look at some of the realities in the world around us, and although our hearts hurt, right, we can still recognize that, that this longing for better days was realized in Jesus, right? That, that, that although things are not as they should be, that through the, the, the birth of Christ, through the life of Christ, through the death of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, right, things are being made new. And, and, and Christmas, therefore, the beginning of that makes us courageous. It's not a way that we often think about Christmas, but Christmas is something that ought to give us courage. It's an incredibly courage, cur- cur- encouraging thing. And that brings me to the carol that, uh, that we have for this morning. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen. For years I heard the title of that song, and um, it almost sounded to me like this carol was encouraging me to go home after church and lay down on the lazy boy chair and turn on NFL and take a nap, right? Go rest, you merry gentlemen. Absolutely don't mind if I do. Thank you, baby Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but as I, 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 you know, one thing I discovered as I actually read about it is that, um, as you might guess, it's not about taking a nap. In fact, it's almost the opposite um, and that's because there are two words in this title which were very different in the 14th century in their meaning than they are today. Uh, when we modern people say Merry Christmas, the word Merry means happy. It means happy, right? Have a happy Christmas. But in the 14th century, Mary had a different meaning. It actually meant mighty and great. So Robin Hood's merry men, right, they may have been happy, but actually what was being said is that they were mighty and great men doing justice in the world, right? Uh, in the Middle Ages, a strong army was a merry army. A great singer was a merry singer. A mighty ruler was a merry ruler. And so that word has a different meaning. And then the other word uh, that actually has a different meaning is rest. Uh, resting doesn't mean taking a nap. It actually means the opposite. It's like being empowered. It's being made to do something, uh, to, 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 to be encouraged, right? And, and so, uh, so a person would rest an army or rest a home. They'd make those things. They'd encourage them. They'd empower them. And, and that's very different too. And so there's also a, a comma that's missing from this title that's omitted. And actually, the, the best way to understand this title is this. God, make ye mighty, gentlemen. God, make ye mighty, gentlemen, right? Uh, God, make ye mighty, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. I told you I was going to sing. For Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day. Right? So you hear the connection there? We are made mighty, and we should not dismay. Why? 
because Jesus Christ was born this day on Christmas. God's peace bringer came. Shalom was broken into the earth, right? To save us all from Satan's power ere we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Have some courage singing, David. You can do it, right? This song is, is loudly and proudly declaring Jesus is our strength, right? And so these peasants in the 14th century who were celebrating Christmas, who were not allowed to sing these words in the church, step out into the streets and with great courage are saying, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that although our world may not be what it should be, although there is a ton of junk that we have to deal with, God has made us mighty, ladies and gentlemen. And friends, uh, I just want to remember, help, help remind you, maybe help you see Christmas in, in a different light. Christmas should make you courageous, should give you courage that Christ was born. And, uh, and that's something that gives comfort and joy, the bringing of God's shalom peace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, I just thank you for the way that you speak to our hearts, that you speak to our minds, that in your birth, Lord, there is a hope and a peace that comes that, um, that really does surpass the understanding of the world that we look at and we see now. I pray that when our hearts are broken open in those moments where we get a window into the depravity of human sin, into the, the binding of Satan's power in this world, Lord, that we would also at the same time see the blinding light of your son's birth that was announced through the angels that spoke to the ages that we hold in our heart right here and right now, Lord Jesus. And I pray that that shalom that comes over all the earth would settle itself in our peace-starved hearts, Lord, and that we would be made courageous this Christmas. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.